Hello and welcome to Quadris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Red Blossom and Snow by Jeannie Lin. This was just published in 2022 and is the fourth in the Ping Kong Lee Mysteries, also known as the Lotus Palace Mysteries. And thanks to Jeannie Lin, who sent us a complimentary arc. All right, should we just dive right in? Yes. Magistrate Li Chen harbors a secret, one that could destroy his hard-earned reputation as well as his growing passion for the talented courtesan Song Yi. Li Chen's duty to his family and the emperor must come before the desires of his heart. But when a stranger to the city is found dead near the house of heavenly peaches where Song Yi is indentured, the complicated nature of their relationship becomes the least of his troubles. For Song Yi, Magistrate Li's gentlemanly late-night conversations provide a welcome change from the games of courtship she is accustomed to, but his reserved attention won't pay the bills. When one of her courtesan sisters goes missing at the same time a stranger is killed in the pleasure quarter, she and Li Chen embark on an investigation as well as a passionate affair. But the riddle they uncover goes deeper than they could have imagined, and mysteries from their past may shatter any hope for the future. I don't think it's a bad book jacket, except that it starts out with Magistrate Li Chen harbors a secret, and I don't think he does at the beginning of the book. Yeah, unless the secret is how bad he wants her. But <laughs> That's not a secret. <laughs> You know. He thinks it is? Not really, no. Yeah, I don't really understand that whole framing. Yeah, but other than that, I it makes sense, you know, that his, his duty to his family, the emperor comes before his heart, blah, 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 all that stuff makes sense. I don't know. I think this book jacket sort of touches on one of the things that bothered me about this one as compared to the others, and I'm just realizing it now. The stakes of this one feel much lower. I agree with you. I do think the stakes feel a little lower. And I think it's, I, I think it's because of who the characters are. Um, for me, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but for me, this book felt like almost in the genre of like a faded mates kind of thing. Like we're fated to be together and it's like unraveling how they're connected. Yeah, but... This is a little jumping ahead to tropes. Like all of the books so far have been class difference. Mm -hmm. This is the least, yeah, class difference of all of them. And as these are all murder mysteries, neither of them are ever suspects or truly like involved in the case, which right. also like has much different implications than everything in the previous book. And so, to a degree, it felt like they had less obstacles, but somehow more angst. There's a lot of angst. This is definitely an angsty book. So I, I don't feel like the book jacket, like I don't think it's doing anything wrong here, but like there is no, like it, it, it says it in the jacket, like when a strange a courtesan sister goes missing at the same time a stranger is killed in the quarter. Like those are the stakes. It's not that big a deal to either of them in the scheme of like the potential repercussions on their lives in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, the stakes get bigger. And I, I think this is where you and I differ on our stance towards this hero. Okay. I think we want to hash that out. 
So. Well, before we jump all too far ahead of ourselves and start having that conversation, as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50 and then wrote our own summaries using that number as the word count. And this week, that number is 35. Meg? Here's my 35-word summary. It's bad enough getting ghosted by the police chief you really liked. Now you're suspected of murder once he shows back up in your life. Maybe you can seduce him to stay out of jail. Excellent plan. Except it never had any chance of working. And she was <laughs> never really going to go to jail. She was never really going to go to jail. He's also not really a police chief, okay? But it was the closest gloss I could come up with. Sorry. I like it. <laughs> All, right. All right. How about you? Mine. Chen's hesitancy means he's easily manipulated, doesn't trust his instincts, and almost makes his lover and her family destitute. A murderer lives with his intended victim and doesn't kill him? I just didn't get them. <laughs> There, there are thing. There were things that. Well, there was one thing that I was a little bit like, oh, okay. And you touch on that in your summary. It was really the only thing that I had a big issue with in this book. Everything else, we'll get there. I basically really liked. <laughs> we'll we'll have that conversation because I've we've we've been talking about the mystery and the quality of the mysteries throughout this series, and I think. This is a new angle. It it is. It is a new angle. Uh, it's an interest. It was interesting to me because it it's it's not really a trope, but it's a a setup, a mystery setup where something that seems unconnected with you turns out that it is connected with you. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like those plots when I read them. So I kind of liked this, especially since it was bound in their romance. I think those plots for me need to get a little bit more actual mysteries. Like, mm -hmm. if you're going to try to tie this all together with a bow to that degree, I need clues that are followable. I need there to be like an airtight when I go back and reread, it's not obvious that this couldn't have happened the way you said it did. And again, these books have never been mysteries of that ilk. Right. And so I think that's part of why the mystery just, it wasn't just like it didn't resonate with me or like the aha moment wasn't this real moment of satisfaction. The aha moment, I was sitting there flipping through the book going, that makes no sense. <laughs> like not just, I, I, I didn't feel invested, but like I actively thought everything I'd read disproved how this went down. Yeah. I, for me, the book that this is most close, what are those words? Comps. Like, you know, you've like find books that are comparable to yours, right? Yeah. To me, if I'm looking at like all of the romances I've read, I'm not a huge mystery person. So I guess I could count all the mysteries I've ever read too. This doesn't, this does not feel like a mystery mystery so much as it does a romance. I feel like this is the least mystery like of all the books in my opinion with the most mystery ending yes <laughs> it was yes. just a weird combination the book that it seemed the most similar to me was uh my beautiful enemy actually because of all of the ways this couple ended up being connected in ways they didn't know okay in like in that respect yes but Nothing else about the books really strike me as similar. Nothing else about the books, no. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Got it. Okay. 
Look, Making sure I'm following you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for me, that was the the big trope. I wrote it as faded mates, but that's not exactly the right trope, right? They're not faded mates in the paranormal sense. They're just, they are people who over history spanning pretty significant periods of time in geographic regions, they have been in the same place and known the same people. They've like, been in the same place. Been... They've known the same people. Their actions have affected each other without them knowing. Yes. And I, I really like that in a romance. Not that I... I read it very often, but I like it, though. I like that setup. I yes. just didn't like these characters, so that didn't matter very much. That's fair. So what characters are they? I think that well, that was the next trope I wrote. You can tell me if you agree with it. So it was the awkward hero paired with the worldly heroine. I think that's a fair trope, like to call them. She's less accomplished than Mingyu. Yes. And less acerbic? Yes. She's less cynical, I would say. Yeah. that's a, And there are potentially a lot of reasons for that. As we discussed, Mingyu was sold by her parents. Mm-hmm. You know, Songyi was not. There's, yeah. There are reasons that they have different views of the world. But, um, yeah, I, I think she's definitely not naive. She's a working prostitute, like, there's there's not a whole lot of room for naivete in her world. <sighs> yeah, I think that represents them both. And I want to like say compliment to Jeannie Lin. Again, these characters feel extremely different than any of the other heroes and heroines we've had in previous books. Yeah. But I think Lee Chen, as we discussed in the previous book, is too much of a doormat. <laughs> in my opinion and song Yi actually like uh, her more reserved nature mm-hmm. compared to all of the heroines we've had previously actually made her harder for me to feel like I was getting to know or to understand her motivations yeah she was one of the things I really liked about this book and about really the entire series is, as you say, the characters all feel very distinct. Yes. And Song Yi actually says about herself, she thinks to herself that there are two kinds of courtesans, right? There's the one who's the shining jewel who no one can take their eyes off of her. And there's the one who's a little more comfortable, who makes you feel good about coming here, who, who makes you drink a little bit and you have a nice time. And she's like, I'm the second kind. I'm not the first kind. I'm not like the prima donna. Yeah. And I thought it was really an interesting take on the, the whole courtesan. Well, right, because at this point we've had three heroines who have been indentured sex workers and all of them feel very differently about that. Mm-hmm. And in my view, they all seem like valid ways to feel about their profession. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I didn't dislike Song Yi, but I don't feel like I connected with her either. Okay. Um, so, Sins of the Father play yeah. a huge part in this book. Yeah. Um, both of them, as we've 
said were are have mysterious events in their past that they didn't fully understand at the time when they happened. They both lost their fathers extremely young in extremely tragic ways. And in both cases, there was an air of cover-up associated with their father's deaths for very different mm-hmm. reasons. They were obviously a very different social classes. Um, Lee Chen is of a, you know, he's a bureaucrat's son, a, a well-to-do right. bureaucrat, not a member of the aristocracy, but of a, a you know, upper class. Whereas uh, Song Yi's upbringing was, uh, her father was a professional. Yes. Mm-hmm. She didn't grow up poor, but she didn't grow up with any trappings of society. Um, right. At least until, you know, her father's passing. And so the kind of air of mystery surrounding their father's deaths end up being sort of related. Mm-hmm. And especially in the case of Lee Chen, the secrets his father died with are rearing their ugly head in the present and have a lot of impact on his relationship with Song Yi. Yeah. That is a lot of words to try to avoid spoilers. (laughs) I also think it's an interesting trope to take on in this context because of the culture and how important filial piety is, Confucianism, and just the the entire culture is really Mm -hmm. focused on the family and carrying on the family name. And so I think that plays a part as well when you're reading the book. Yeah, and it's really interesting because... Ultimately, our heroines, with the exception of Weiwei, have been women without families. Right. And even Constable Wu, and to a lesser extent, Gao, are also men without families. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, reverse that. Constable Wu had a little bit more of a family history than Gao did. Um, I mean, had a family history, but... Right, but, like, they're not... For the most part, with the exception of the bi family, the heroes and heroines have not had a huge sense of familial piety because they haven't had much of a family. Right. And so this is the first book where... And, and, and like, to a degree, the bi family is, like, a happy family without mm-hmm. a lot of angst within their walls. So this was sort of the first depiction of that familial piety as a weight. Yeah. That we've seen depicted. Yes. And I I know we're not there yet, but this this has to do, I think, with both of our perceptions of Lee Chen and maybe mm-hmm. how they differ. Um there is a there is a time when they go to stare at the building where their love is, but they don't go inside. I think yeah, both like- I think both of them do it at one point or another, right? Uh, he's definitely way oh. more. I don't recall her doing it. He's like way more than her. He's like known at some of the shops around the brothel because he's just been like staring at the front door like a creep. They're like, oh, you want your your normal seat where you can spy on the brothel? Except this time she's with you and we're just going to not make it cool for you. They're like, they're like, you're the magistrate. This is not, like, there's nothing, we're not making anything cool for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And then, you know, as we mentioned, class difference, but it's not the A-trope here. It's not. It's not, although it does. It plays it, a role, but it's it not the It plays a role, and to me, it played the biggest role in his, his character development. 
So there's a, right. plays a role in hers too, because she, to a little bit of a degree, has a fake identity. Sort of, yes. <laughs> I, it's, um, it's a little very, bit. It's really interesting. So do we want to talk about her? Because I, I think she's, we talked about how she's already a little bit different from the other courtesans or sex workers mm-hmm. in that she was young when she became, when she was indentured to the House of Heavenly Peaches. She was... She was 12. <laughs> 12. But she wasn't like prepubescent is what I mean you know like she wasn't like a seven-year-old who was raised to be a courtesan right and to the extent that you can at 12 she chose she was at least a little bit complicit in her choice she had some agency a little bit now look she's 12 years old obviously that's still a child I don't think she started working as a sex worker until she got older. She had to be trained, right, to play instruments and serve tea and all that stuff. But you get the feeling that she, if she regretted her choice, it was because of the circumstances that led to it and not necessarily the choice itself. Yes. If that makes any sense. (laughs) I hope so. No, I understand so, what you're saying. Yeah, so she seems to be, of of the three characters that we read about who are sex workers, she seems to be the one who's the most I don't know what word I'm looking for here, but, you know, she she's the one who resents it the least. Yeah. We've talked about this with each book. With each book, the world really gets deeper and brings mm-hmm. up more questions for you. Because in the first book, you wouldn't even think, like, oh, what's the economy? You're like, oh, no, her parents sold her, you know? Exactly. And now and you're like, even, okay, how much money? Well, and, like, by extension, you learn in this book that Lee is only the magistrate of half the city? Correct. And that, that there's this political, like, rivalry between the two halves from a, like, magistrate standpoint. It was interesting to, like, have that thrown at you at this point. It was. It's super interesting. I don't know. It's like all of that part of the book just really draw. It really drew me in. Every time I find out more, I'm like, oh, wow, this world is just becoming more and more real. Well, and also talk about consequences for actions. So spoiler for the previous book for Liar's Dice. No, Hidden Moon. Yeah. Um, Sorry. One's the prequel and one's the book itself. They're the same characters are in them. Um, Like, they arrest a guy who frequently goes to the House of Heavenly Peaches, and that has ramifications for that brothel in this book. Like, yes. it, you totally get it. You didn't think about those consequences because it was the last book's mystery, and it's how it was solved. Mm-hmm. But, but the way it all like, ties together is very smart. Now you're like, oh, dang, poor House of Heavenly Peaches. Yeah. You do. You, you feel... It, it was really... It was very interesting to me because... Song Yi feels responsible for her den mother, for her her courtesan sisters. And she seems to have more agency than, for example, Mingyu had. Right? Mingyu felt like more of a prisoner, more of a servant, more of someone who had to do what her den mother said. And in this one, to me at least, when I read it, it felt more like like there was more... Songyi had a little bit more response, felt more responsibility towards her house. 
and well, didn't want to let them down. Yue Ying and Ming Yu unquestionably wanted to buy their freedom. Mm-hmm. And both of them felt very upset in their own ways about the trade of young girls and about like their options sort of were either buy your freedom or then become a woman who's buying children. Right. And that was never fully articulated, but it was very clear from their actions in their books that they were like desperate to avoid that fate in different ways. Right. Um, To the point that Yue Ying was bought by her sister and given her freedom and Ming Yu had a packet of money hidden in her drawer in case she could ever get out. And, mm-hmm. you know, spoiler alert for the first book, Ming Yu killed a sex trafficker. Right. Like, where was, com- you know, present for the murder of a sex trafficker. So you kind of get the impression that Song Yi is very comfortable. Yeah. With her life, like, th- there is no thought of her buying her own freedom or like no discomfort of the idea of someday being her dead mother. There is no rebellion in her because she chose this life. Again, there's a question to how much agency a 12 year old can actually have, but her perception is like, this was freedom for her in a way. Right. For her, her perception. And that's the thing. She didn't, I don't think she ever felt as much of a prisoner as Yes. One yes. of the things at the very beginning of the book that Song Yi does is she goes to spend a week with a protector and she leaves after one night. And having read the first three books, you get the feeling that if Ming Yu had done that, she would have been in deep shit. Yeah. And it's more like here the Din Mother's like, oh man, Song Yi, really? Oh well. <laughs> She's, but I think that kind of, it implies she's already a part of, like, the ownership chain. Yeah. Yes. Which is interesting. Because it her is. sisters are more like Mingyu and Yue Ying. Yeah. From what little we learn about them. So it's yeah. not that she's not aware that largely this is a sex trafficking profession filled with victims. It's just that she, because of her own choices, is kind of comfortable with it. Yeah. So it's it, it's a really fascinating read. I mean, we just had a 10-minute conversation about it. And it's I just think it's really a complex view of, a, of this issue. Well, and uh, this world, as you said, is expanding. And you're getting more nuanced takes and different perspectives. I, I'm glad this wasn't the first book. I think it was really interesting to have the first heroine in this series be, in some ways, the one who suffered the most at the hands of the system. Mm -hmm. And then you get the increasingly complex takes further on. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing, too. If you had read the first book, if you had read Song Yi as the first heroine, I don't think you would view the courtesan system the way we are now. Exactly. Exactly. So, just really well done. On Jeannie Lynn's part, in my opinion. Completely agree. All right, let's talk about Lee Chen. In your summary, <laughs> you <laughs> kind of ripped him. <laughs> Correct. So you're not really into Lee Chen as a hero. No. I like heroes driven by like a personal code of ethics, mm-hmm. like with a real sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm regardless of what the rule it's not them into a rebel hero but i'm into people who like want to fix injustice 
Lee Chen is a good magistrate. He's not like a bad cop or a corrupt cop. But you get the sense that he's a good magistrate because he likes seeing the rules followed, not because, and he wants murderers to be caught, not because he feels he's in a power to like right the wrongs of society. And I think those are the heroes I like. And especially in this book with him, like not talking to her for six months out of awkwardness. Mm-hmm. And even when he does talk to her, like saying the wrong thing so often and doing the wrong thing so often. I mean, like the spoiler, the, this is a very minor spoiler. He recuses himself from the investigation because he feels like he's too closely related to it. And it's like, if I've learned one thing from romance novels, it's that when you love the girl, you make sure you're in charge. <laughs> That's right. You're going to bend the rules to make sure she doesn't go to jail. Or at the very least, like, I'm not going to bend the rules and I'm going to follow all of the rules to the letter, but I don't trust anyone else to not be corrupt. Like, right. I found so naive, given, like, what Magistrate Lee has viewed in the last three books alone, like, what we know <laughs> is on the table, that he'd be like, yeah, I trust another magistrate. No, you fucking don't. What are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, Lee Chen is the embodiment. You know the RPG alignments, right? Oh, the D&D one, the neutral, chaotic, good. Yes. So he's like lawful good, right? He follows all the rules. He's a good guy, but he's going to follow all the rules. I might even call him lawful neutral. Mm, I would not. (laughs) But Lane likes the chaotic good guys. But I like that. I need them to be good. I don't think he was. I think he's neutral. I think he's the laws, the law and should be followed. I, I think that's how he started the book. I think he started the book as the laws, the law and the law should be followed. I think he ended the book as we should do our best. He, so in my opinion, he ends the book as I still think the law is probably the best way for us to go. It's probably best thing to follow it. But it doesn't cover all circumstances. Okay. So it's a, it's a, look, it's a very slight character development. Okay. But I think he gets there. I liked him as a hero because I like that. I don't know. I like a guy who's super starchy, super straight laced, follows all the rules and then realizes that it's not working for him. And even if he bends just this much, that's okay for me. It's not that description I have a problem with. Lee Chen, at no point, I feel like, he. you're right, he grows a little. I'm not going to, like, take away any character development here. But he's not a man of courage. Well, he is. He, he sits across the street in a tea house and stares at her front door. Yes, but at the end, Lane, he marries this woman. His mother was, like, not into it. So he goes against filial piety. He goes against, like, his career because marrying her is not going to be good for his career. And he writes a strongly worded letter about the the other magistrate, which is really big for Lee Chen. With the exception of standing up to his mother, I don't think any of those things took courage for him. Following the rules and filing the report in the name of doing what is in line with the law, I don't think was a departure from who he was at the beginning of the book. He wouldn't, at the beginning of the book, he wouldn't have made an exception based on a personal connection. 
And he doesn't seem to be someone who's super career-minded or aspirational about his job or, like, looking to get ahead or be something more than the magistrate in the capital city. Well, he's so definitely he, he's definitely given it up by the end of the book. I think he but was. I, but I don't think that was he, ever a thing he wanted. Like, you never no, hear in the sex. Like, with the exception of standing up to his mother, which I will give you, I don't think he shows courage. Well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one. Because I okay. personally liked Lee Chen as a hero. I liked how awkward he was. I liked how Song Yi was the one who basically had to take the lead in every situation. I liked it. I don't know what to tell you. I was into him. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So we talked about the mystery a little bit. I don't think we want to go into great depth because we don't want to spoil anything. But I think I, I think we just want to reiterate that the mystery at first seems unrelated to them personally, and it ends up being very closely related to them and has uh, an impact on their relationship. Yeah, I think the complaint I had about the last two books that the the aha moment because it was so filled with bureaucratic politics didn't like feel like a real revelation or like something I was excited about because it was like, okay, cool. These politicians killed each other and we just learned why in this book, there's definitely more personal stake. But again, I didn't think the ending made sense on several levels. There, there were a couple of things that I, I also had an issue with things were made a little bit more complex than they had to be. It's like when you're watching a Bond movie and the villain, instead of just killing James Bond, takes 10 minutes to explain his whole plan and why he's not going to kill him. And then he's like, okay, no, I'm going to let this machine crush you, but I'm not going to watch it crush you. Yeah, that's a choice that doesn't make sense. Right. So I'm saying that I felt like there was more that, disconnect here than that. Yeah, it it to me it felt there were some choices that were made that I was like did they didn't seem logical to me. I I'd take it a step further. What was explained to me at the end in hindsight, I still think there were holes in the plot. Yeah. So we've spoken before about how this series feels like more of a an expansive series than a, a romance series. And we did have characters show up again. So we see Gao and Weiwei. Obviously, Gao is constable, so he's working directly for Li Chen. Yep. So Gao is on page quite a bit, so is Weiwei. We also see Ming Yu. We hear about Yue Ying, although I don't think we see Yue Ying on page. Nope. We hear about her. We do see Bai Wang, though. Yes. Well, I mean, Bai Wang is like, turns out that he is basically the spy master of the pleasure district. So I can't hate it when Bai Huang shows up. Right. So I don't know. I, I like it. I really like the way Jeannie Lin is using her characters, her previous characters as they show up in the books. I'm really enjoying it. I didn't understand something. Okay. And I mean this sincerely, like this isn't a criticism. There were two things that this book made me think about that I hadn't thought about in the previous books. One, um, my understanding, like reflecting back, is that most of the time the courtesans did not have sex in the brothels. 
The brothels, were they entertained? It was largely in common public rooms. They may be in an alcove with an individual, but the actual, like, one-on-one, like, sexual encounters generally happened at a a residence provided by the John. Right. Um, And maybe there were some exceptions, but that largely the rooms in the, the brothel were their personal rooms and they were not obligated to take dudes there. Right. And then this book, like, seemed to support that, but there were some certain turns of phrase. Is that your understanding, too, or...? That was my understanding. In this book, there was a circumstance where that did happen, where the the House of Heavenly Peaches was used as a brothel and not as a salon. Right. But it's, it's, it's presented as something that was unusual and that they're only doing because they don't have the patronage that they used to. They're really low on funds, basically. Okay, but so, like, this book just made me think about it. It'd be rare for sex to happen in a brothel. That's still the... Well, and it's not really... So I guess we can't really call it a brothel, right, at that point. I don't have another word for it. Pleasure house still sounds like brothel to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then the second thing was... So... A lot of the courtesans we know are not using their real names. But up to this point, the courtesans we've been exposed to have all been using names that, this is going to sound so fucking ignorant of me, but like seem to be traditional Chinese. Mm-hmm. And even Yue Ying, we know her name is Yue Ying, but we know it means half moon. Right. Song Yi's sisters both have English names, Pearl and Sparrow. Right. And I didn't understand why we weren't like told what the Chinese name would have been in the same way we were with Hua Ying. Like, what was going on there? Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. You know. Okay. I I, I do have the feeling that that Mingyu would mean something. Right. Right. No, no, totally agree. So does Song Yi, probably. But probably, but we we don't really know. And I'm not sure whether it was to other of these courtesans or or is it because they were still sort of in training because it is implied that they're still in training but even Mingyu had someone in training in her book and they didn't have a name that was an English word yeah so I just I kind of felt like it was implying something I was missing honestly yeah I I don't I don't know if you if it was then I also missed it okay those are my questions thank you okay content warnings We've already talked about it, but this is a heroine who is a sex worker. She she may have been complicit in the choice, but she was 12 years old when she made the choice. And, and she, she was is now indentured. She's now indentured, and she was definitely exploited, regardless of whether she chose it or not. She was not educated enough to understand how to get right, how to get much benefit out of her choice. Yes. The second trigger warning I want to talk about is trigger warning suicide. But it's more complex than just a character killed himself. Both of their fathers, there is some uncertainty or inconsistency between the public presentation of their death and the actual truth. Mm -hmm. In both cases, suicide is... One of those explanations. Right. And the way the cultural context of suicide is that it was clearly extremely shameful. 
right. than something to be concealed but was whispered about by ill-intentioned people. But I want to point out specifically that when Lee Chen ruminates the potential of his father having committed suicide, his internal understanding is that there's absolutely no reason someone would kill themselves if they didn't do a bad thing and weren't trying to like hide from their sins. Right. Not a super complex understanding of mental health, clearly. And it is absolutely like you don't get the sense the author is questioning it either. Yeah. I, this is something that I feel like happens quite a bit in historical romance, not just these books that were set in Tang Dynasty China, where, right. you know, suicide would be considered, you know, I'm dishonored, you know, I need to kill myself. But, you know, how many romances have we read where the father killed himself or one of the other characters killed themselves because they were so much in debt, right? Or what happens more often is people clearly drink themselves to death. And it's like whether or not the death was a suicide is sort of left fuzzy. Right. Like, did they, were they in front of the train because they were wasted or because they were killing themselves? Yeah. So it's not a genre that really lends itself well to nuance, especially with this issue. Right. Um, which on the one hand, I understand because you sort of read it as an escape. So you want to make it an easily understood issue if you're going to include it. On the other hand, maybe you shouldn't include it if it's not easily understood. You know what I mean? I at no point when suicide is on the table is the thought, I feel bad for the person who killed themselves. Right. Because they were clearly struggling. Right. It's the person who killed themselves must have had something to hide or must have been dishonored or dishonored their family. Yeah. So be aware there is a suicide that takes place in this book. Oh, I do have one that may or may not be a content warning. Oh, okay. um, there's some implication that there might be a powerful government official grooming young men. Mm, mm -hmm. And it was sort of unclear to me if that was sinister or not. Yeah, I, I don't think it was supposed to be. I think it was only sinister because of who he turned out to be. It, it, was, it was still just a, a red flag moment for me. Yeah, well, I think I think this book is trying to be a little more complex. And you're right that Li Chen does not think complexly about the laws and the system in which he's working. Right. But I think this book is trying to make it a little more complex. Right? Like, yes. supposedly you take this exam and how well you perform on an exam is going to determine your place in the bureaucracy. And if you just say that, you're like, oh, this is great. It's open to anyone who wants to take the exam. This is awesome. But really, it turns out that, you know, you need to be tutored and you need to be sponsored and you need to understand it's not just what you do on the exam, but it's how you say hello and how you turn in the essay and all those unwritten rules. Right. So anyway, very interesting. We yeah, can yeah is is not 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 the person through which we're understanding that it's complex exactly so i'm not sure if it's full trigger warning because we don't really understand what's happening but there's clearly an implication that there's something he's not picking up on yeah 
So just like be aware there, there may be some grooming beyond just the grooming of courtesans. Yeah. So this is a romance novel. There are some explicit sex scenes playing. Yeah. Did you think they were sexy? What did you think? No. (laughs) Here's the why. Um, Lee Ched and Song Yi are in a much more transactional relationship mm-hmm. than any of the hero and heroines we've had so far. And That's they're true. extremely aware of it yeah. and extremely aware of the their relationship to some degree being an illusion. Mm-hmm. And that was diminishing of the sexiness for me. Yeah. I don't think it diminishes. So I think here's here's the deal with these books. The, there are sex scenes, and I think the sex scenes expand the plot or the characterization. Yes. They further the relationship. Yes. These are not books that you're going to read to get off. Yeah, but... Their sex scenes didn't help me understand why they like each other either. Like, mm-hmm. you're right. They do a lot for the plot, and they do a lot to explain the complexities of where they stand in the moment, and they're clearly resent- like representative of other aspects of the relationship. Like, I'm not saying I don't understand why they're on the page. But mm-hmm. even if they're not, like, mind not like mindlessly sexy, they weren't even, like, I'm so happy these people get to be happy together. There was always this melancholy over all of it. It's true. I mean, you're not wrong. With the exception of, and weirdly, Ming Yu and Wu, man. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That was sort of the exception. I do love them. You really felt like, even though it was like a fuck you, I'm going to have sex with you because I'm taking agency in this one moment. And even if this is it, I'm doing it. Like, you'd think that had more melancholy over it than it did. It really didn't. Here, like, even, like, the final sex scene is a goodbye sex. Mm -hmm. Only one person thinks it's goodbye sex. And I won't spoil how all that goes down. But, like, they're literally never on the same page about anything. Even when they start working together, they're mad at each other. Yeah, the the sex is not something that brings them closer together. Nothing is. <laughs> what brings them closer together ends up being this fucked up shared past. It's true. It's fate. Yay. I I was into it. I was digging it. Okay. I liked it. Um, I don't think they're gonna be miserable. <laughs> no, I don't think they are either. Although I think I think that they're gonna have more problems with his career than Ming Yu and Wu. And I know you disagree with me. Oh, strong. That's my mm-hmm. opinion. JMO. There is like a little bit of a like on the last page, there's a little bit of a sinister implication about their future happiness. So I see where you're coming from. <laughs> like it, there was a little bit of like a rain on their parade on their I wedding day. So, and I was like, why is oh there that's I mean, not good. I have to admit, I thought it was really it it was kind of sad, but it was also like kind of funny because she was like, Oh, well, that sounds good. And he's like, Yeah, it's actually not good. <laughs> If and when this series continues, mm-hmm. because I don't necessarily think there's like an obvious next hero. No, I don't think there's an obvious next hero, but I think there could be another hero. We just haven't 
really met, you know. 100%. The the guy who sends the ominous note that's like still hanging over them is going to have to die. You would hope. <laughs> well, like they're they're fucked. Yeah. But I... in the same way that like the, the trilogy of the first three well, the trilogy of the first three books. <laughs> yes. Good job, Lane. Was sort of about this general and the emperor's power play and the examinations and the scholars. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were there was inherently like a mystery tying them together. Right. But there's like a single one, but there was clearly like a thematic link. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like the thematic link of this next section, in the same way like Elizabeth Hoyt does like trilogies within yes. wider series like if this does that i feel like the downfall of this dude will need to be sort of central to i like that idea i would be really interested if, if they jumped forward a few years and the next hero was um young lord by oh i would be really interested to see his point of view as being as the concubine son I mean, there's just a lot of potential for angst here, and Jeannie Lynn exploits those potentials so well. Yeah. I would be very interested in it, if you're listening, Jeannie Lynn. Yeah, no, I would be... I'm interested in whatever she writes. I'm clearly going (laughs) to read the next book in the series, but seriously, that dude needs to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kill him. Maybe he dies of... I don't even know what. Murder on the street in the way they killed the bad guy from the last book. There you go. Perfect. Like, oh, you get off without publicly shaming your family, and then your guards all murdered you, and they were street bandits? What? Oh, no. Too bad. He's just dead. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love it. If you are enjoying the podcast, if you could rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet if you want to hear what we think about other books. Uh, Goodread slash Plotress, Instagram at Plotress, and where else? Oh, yes, WordPress, Plotress. 